from my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intention? Join the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Weird Science. Watching it with me is Camilla Hannibal, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Camilla Hannibal. Hi Camilla, how are you? Hi, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, and uh, welcome back. This is the uh, the first return since The Shining. Yeah. We've uh, we've changed tone a little bit. What's so special about Weird Science for you? Uh, Weird Science is, oh my God, I think it was, again, one of those movies I've watched so many times. It's wonderfully weird. It's so strange and has so many different parts of it. It feels like you watch five or six different movies when you watch it, basically. It has a classic teenage element, but also some lovely sci-fi element, and then some really good music and some pretty out-there outfits. So what's not to love, to <laughs> It's a very stereotypical 80s film, then. It's a, another John Hughes classic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Apparently he wrote the screenplay in two days. Yeah, I don't know if it could have been done any other way. I think you it's so weird because it hasn't been overthought properly. I don't know. I think that's one of those things you probably have the idea and you get it down on paper as soon as you can in case you forget it. Yeah, like a dream. When you wake up, you just write it down straight ahead, straight away. Now, one thing I thought I'd ask first, because um, this is something that sort of pops up in my head, was um, now obviously there's a lot in this film for guys. I suppose it's if, if you're looking at teenage boys, the two main characters in this, Wyatt and Gary, are I suppose about 15. Now, it's kind of, I wouldn't say it's every guy's fantasy, but they've basically created a doll, uh, a living doll really. How was it watching it as a woman? Yeah, it's interesting, because I was actually prepared to hate that angle of it even more now as a grown-up and obviously as a feminist. But that was actually not what was bothering me the most. We can get back to what actually bothered me in the movie, uh, rewatching it. Yeah, obviously, it, they create a woman out of uh, a fantasy uh, or like a cliche of a, what a perfect woman should be. But what is actually quite interesting is that they also make her really intelligent. They make her very talented. Uh, she can play the piano and she can also do all sorts of magic. And uh, Lisa, her name is, Lisa doesn't take shit from anyone, if you think of it. She actually uh, really ballsy. So obviously it's a bit weird, the whole thing that she, they, they control her, but she actually controls them just as much. So she's quite a badass woman, uh, even though she's made out of some weird hacking into the FBI's computer systems and, yeah, some weird ceremony with bras on their heads. And even though that's how she came to the world, she's she's a really badass woman. I suppose, and having watched it again, you kind of, like you say, the fantasy is that they create an ideal woman for themselves and yet jumping towards the end really you know ultimately her role is to not 
sleep with them, not make them sort of studs as it were, but it's just to give them a lot more confidence and make them get them away from being the losers of the school, which is how they're introduced. And they end up getting the girls at the end of the day who they didn't have to create with a computer. Yeah, exactly. And she's completely like in control in that way. I mean, it's it's not like they created a sex robot. And also they, they're they quite respectful. And I mean, what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, they are, they treat her with a lot of respect, even though they could basically do what they wanted. They're probably not doing what a lot of teenage boys would do if they had a control over a woman like that. It's a weird one because it's, it's actually not provoking me as much as I thought. <laughs> because of these things yeah yeah I think with a lot of these films it's quite easy to look at and you know ones that you enjoyed when they came out or when you were younger and and look at them now and there are troublesome things about it and I think a lot of the words that we've used in podcasts like these are problematic or troubled Mm. I mean this one's obviously aged in different ways but um you know it's, it's strange that this perfect woman she doesn't get the guys they don't get her but I think in a in an alternate universe it's probably better she was with two 15 year olds who didn't know what they were doing than two 30 year old lech blokes (laughs) yeah exactly they were in a really sad and dark movie to watch I think (laughs) um but um yeah I mean they, they develop a quite a like a lovely relationship and they definitely become more of a uh, she becomes more of a big sister to them, I feel. Like the cool big sister helps them on their way to figure out who they are and what they what they want to be. Point of the, the introduction to them, these two guys, they're standing in the hallway of a school gymnasium, basically <laughs> per- perving at all the girls in their leotards. And I suppose this this is an American school in the 80s. Of course, everyone's gorgeous and not an ounce of fat on them. And... Um, they just happen to be you know watching away and all of a sudden they have their pants pulled down now, one thing that's easy to look at now and you think that of all the people who are in this film and it's you know it's a reasonably you know famous cast by far now the most famous person is one of the the school bullies it's uh, Robert Downey Jr yeah and also with a different set of teeth uh, than yeah. he, you 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 see him with now he has a huge gap in front of his um, front teeth. He looks like, I think, I think he looks so different. That was just something I thought about today. But yeah, he's he's definitely um, made a career for himself after this. He, pl- he plays the douchebag very well. He's, like, I think he, because he, he was kind of a douchebag. Yeah. There's the whole thing about how he used to go around to, to the other actors' uh, trailers and take a dump in their toilets uh, on set. He also had a pretty heavy, I think, both drinking and drunk problem. So it was a little bit of a wild child. So it feels like it came very natural to him to be sort of a play that kind of character. I'm not big into the the Marvel films or anything, but I've seen Iron Man. And it seems almost like he plays the younger version of Tony Stark. And it's very, (laughs) I suppose it's it's true, actually. Yeah, spot on. That's really interesting. Yeah, like uh, charming, but still full of himself, like this anti, anti-hero, anti I guess, in Iron Man, not so much in uh, Weird Science. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny recently, because uh, oh, as we're recording, the, the Oscars were last week, and 
there were some videos going around of he presented an Oscar, I think it was at the 1989 Awards with Sybil Shepherd because he'd been in a film with her where he played her, so the, this is going to sound stupid, the reincarnated dead husband. And it was all strange because he, I suppose, would have been yeah early 20s at this point, bounding onto the stage. And yet, obviously, he then had you know, huge issues as he touched on the drink and the drugs and he went to prison for a while and then he, yeah. came, you know, sort of reinvented himself, came back. He was in that Elton John video and then I suppose Iron Man's made him super rich and super popular again. If you see, like, I just came to think about it, like how these male actors in the sort of 80s, 90s, just the whole thing about mental health and abuse, issues i think it was just now we live in a time when we talk way more openly about mental health but they were famous in a time where you didn't so you sort of were left to struggle with it on your own i think about for example luke perry who passed away yesterday that has struggled both with like health and mental health for a long time without anyone really knowing about it um and we see more and more like actors who were big in the 80s, 90s, coming out now saying that they had a really hard time. And I think, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is probably one of the very few who actually managed to build up a career again after being the the shit in the 80s or 90s. <laughs> it was funny when you compare him to the two leads, you know, <laughs> Gary and White. I mean, the, Anthony Michael Hall, who's Gary, he... You know, he was huge back then. Obviously, he was in The Breakfast Club as well and, and a number of other films. And, and, you know, looking through his IMDb, he has continued to work. And he's I think he's had a bit of a renaissance recently. But the guy who played Wyatt pretty much dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, he did. It's easy to look back 30, 35 years and see where did it all go. They had different paths. And yet Robert Downey Jr., had his little time away and has come back sort of stronger than anyone else. Yeah, I think like that's that's the thing. It's just really fascinating. Right, like the last, I feel like, 10, 5 years, we see these actors popping up again. I just wonder, like, I wonder, like, how someone like Robbie Downey Jr., like, what he his motivation is for coming back after all these years. If he's just been having to spend a lot of time sorting himself out or... If it's a, a timing thing, do you need to wait a certain amount of years before you can sort of rebrand yourself? I don't know. As yeah. an adult, I mean, from being a teenage actor to being an adult actor, it seems to be a tricky, tricky thing to do. You know, another 80s film that seems always reminds me of that is The Goonies, where you have people like, I suppose, Josh Brolin was in that. And mm. nowadays, you know, he's a huge sort of star and, and a sort of seen as a, a good actor but then Corey Feldman who had a lot of issues off there and it turns out you know there were some very unpleasant things going that weren't just drink and drugs related with him no um, exactly sort of everywhere in between there was the the guy who was in Lord of the Rings as the Hobbit Sean Astin oh yeah he did all right I suppose if you find a niche as a Hobbit yeah exactly <laughs> I mean coming back to this film Having done the Ferris Bueller episode quite recently, and obviously John Hughes did that one as well, there seems to be a very similar a little universe that he's got where a lot of the the kids, you know, they seem to be raised or growing up in 
well to us anyway looking like fairly wealthy families you know they've got these huge computers in their rooms that probably cost thousands of dollars being able to hack into the the whatever government mainframe it is <laughs> i suppose maybe and i've read some stuff in the past about john hughes that perhaps he was almost like he still had that teenager in him that this was kind of partly how he grew up and partly how he his fantasy about being a teenage boy again and what if he could do it all over again some people even call it like he's just writing his alter egos as well it's very much him uh, reliving his teenage years over and over again and I, I think I remember something about that the reason why one of the reasons why uh, Molly Ringwald, who was both in um, Sixteen Candles and Breakfast Club, she uh, actually uh, said no to his... I think he wrote a movie that she was the star in as well, that she turned down off the Breakfast Club because it was getting a little bit too intense for her. Uh, and apparently he got super offended by that. And uh, they didn't speak for 10 or 20 years, I think. Because it's probably feeling a little bit of that rejection like a teenage boy would, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because she was this muse sort of for him and this like the teenage girl that everyone would fall in love with. And then he was actually being rejected uh, still uh, as an adult. So he took it really to heart. Because there's a film in there somewhere. (laughs) I think so, definitely. I think she writes about this in her biography, which Hmm. I want to read at some point. But yeah, it was definitely... Definitely some some um, some issues there, I think. <laughs> um, but that's true. Uh, it's true. Um, definitely the like, yeah, that sort of upper middle class, maybe even upper class, rich kid, both parents still together, nice car, uh, yeah, annoying siblings, pretty much the same thing that comes. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, this this is closely related to Ferris Bueller, except the main character in this. I I, I don't have a problem with in the way I, I didn't like Ferris Bueller the character at all oh really yeah I, I mean I, I just found him a prick oh, he is a prick <laughs> he's definitely a prick yeah. yeah I feel bad for his friend in that movie oh yeah oh yeah but anyway that was not about this that movie you already done that <laughs> the long suffering Cameron oh man this is Gary and Wyatt in there because it's Wyatt's parents are away so they have a sleepover and <clears throat> decide to create a girl on their computer and um, as you do <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, I do the same when I've got my PlayStation going and um, they're quite specific from the beginning about what they want and as you say they they didn't just make her this sex robot they gave her brains they put in um, a picture of Einstein to com- make sort of his brain and they had bits yeah. of Beethoven and I think there's one of Houdini as well it's a bit odd yeah Houdini and then uh, some I don't know who is like a heavy metal some kind of tv yeah. host something yeah you know they, they obviously knew what they were doing it could have been a lot different if they got it the wrong way around and had uh, come this woman had come out with Einstein's body and I don't know, <laughs> the brain of something else but um that had been an interesting movie actually yeah god maybe that could be weird science too yeah exactly <laughs> but they were actually doing Oh, they weren't. No, they didn't plan a sequel, but they did plan a remake in like 2013. But it never became anything. But who knows? Maybe it will come. Do you remember the TV series? It was like five seasons in the I, 90s. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember seeing it, and and 
I think at the time it came out, it had the Lisa character was the woman who'd been in Kingpin, uh, the bowling film. Oh, oh yeah, true. And, I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. and I remember I probably saw the first or second episode. I didn't stick with it, but um, I remember you know it's just like a beautiful woman who's got an English accent. All right, stick her in; she'll do. Yeah, um, exactly. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dog snoring. But this is um, one of those things that <laughs> you know when when they were making the computer. And there's one script. I'm sure I'll put some link to it or something on on social media where they would describe oh they were trying to use the computer to model the woman's breasts and even a 15 year old boy kind of said basically said more than a handful's of waste and this is <laughs> oh my God, yeah. yeah i mean this is the sort of thing you'd expect from the in-betweeners but um I, I just wonder like again maybe this is just maybe the teenage boy still in my head but if that was the other way around i mean if this was two teenage girls des- designing their ideal man would that be <laughs> I-, I guess I the don't know. I mean I think for me that scene uh, when he says that is like a classic example on when young boys and girls just repeat stuff that they heard adults say I feel like there's something like he heard an older guy or probably uh, not his dad but because his dad is a weird character in the movie, but um, you probably heard that being said, and there's something you repeat because it sounds grown up or like something a man would say. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it just really feels like because obviously he's never even touched a breast, <laughs> so it's just like something you heard, and they thought like, yeah, that must be right. This makes me um, sound intelligent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He is constantly trying to be someone is really not and he's he's always trying to be a little bit more than what he is like any teenager is really yeah so i think that's just that's all it is i think with a teenage girl i mean it would be interesting actually also in the 80s what two girls would do on that computer Um, instead of having bras on their heads what would they have (laughs) yeah what would they you know speedos oh god (laughs) Would it be Tom Cruise's face? And I suppose this would be mid-80s Tom Cruise, and he'd also have a different set of teeth. True, true. <laughs> She's alive! Alive! So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? She emerges in this sort of dry ice, tiny hot pants and everything. Of course, the first thing they do is have a shower. They're uh, so strange. <laughs> like that—that that is so strange because I know they wanted to take a shower with a woman, but that they actually do that. This, yeah, they have their jeans on, I think. Yeah, and their trainers. The <laughs> They're the trainers. Yeah. <laughs> and that was again something that you kind of think a fifteen-year-old boy, yeah, might be nervous, but I'm sure some older guys would probably have a bit more. Well, maybe a bit more confidence and completely embarrass themselves but yeah and i think this is why what the movie actually does quite well that it's always on that light like it's always always remains kind of innocent they are even though they have full access to this woman they're still holding back because one thing is obviously their own insecurities but also they do have a fundamental respect they do respect her 
which is quite interesting, I think. As you said, it's it's quite important throughout that that there is that relationship because I'm sure if the two of them, had, whether they'd slept with her or whatever early in the film, it would have changed it dramatically. And, and obviously you're kind of assuming that they will at some point, yet they don't. Yeah, um, exactly. She's almost like a fairy godmother to them. Yeah, and I think, again, it's... I just get the feeling that she knows that that won't happen. I feel like throughout the whole movie, she's very aware of why she's there. Because she's so intelligent. She's so much more intelligent than them. And it feels like someone who would be as intelligent as Einstein would, if she didn't have an overall agenda, she would challenge them on their view of women and why they felt the need to create a woman that they could control, but she doesn't because she sort of know that I feel that she knows there's an overall goal to all this, which is not sleeping with her, but to help them find their first girlfriend. It's strange as well, because they'd obviously fed in some pages from Cosmopolitan into the computer. So I guess there must have been some sort of 10 good things about sex you'll need to know. Or I don't, I, this shows probably how much I read Cosmopolitan. but Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how Cosmopolitan, okay. Cosmopolitan <laughs> has been for the last 30 years, I think, if it's even okay. existed for that long. But um, no, I think it's just, I feel like she's superior to them uh, also, and, and she has a plan. That's how I choose to see it anyway. <laughs> now, after the shower, they decide to go for a night out. They, I suppose they must have had access to someone else's wardrobe because they dress like Alan Partridge. They've gone out um, and then when they get home, this is where we meet Chet. Here's the bottom line, Wyatt. I'm telling mom and dad everything. I'm even considering making up some shit. All right, Chet, name your price. $175 and zero cents, cash. New bills, crisp and clean. In my wallet by 7 a.m. Thank you. Hey, what are big brothers for? A psycho. Psycho Bill Paxton. He's, um, I, I don't really know what he does. He kind of dresses like he's a hunter. He's still living at home, smoking cigars and all sorts, basically being but a... Really home. He's from, from college. Okay. Yeah, because they say that in, like, when he's having the sleepover in the beginning... He says, like, yeah, my brother is coming home from college to look after me. But he looks like he's in the military or like a hunter. So it's really, he looks too old to be in the college as well. So that's a bit confusing, actually. You know, maybe this was a a common thing. I don't know, in in the mid 80s, if a lot of people, you know, dressed up and a lot of camouflage and things like that, maybe he'd seen too many films. Who knows? Yeah, apparently he got the bus cut just the day before like starting to record and he didn't even ask permission he just felt it was right for the role that makes sense (laughs) yeah it's nice i mean bill paxton died a a couple of years ago and it's this first time i've done a podcast that he's come up in and he's quite famously i think he's the only per well this is what i thought anyway he was the only person who'd been killed by a terminator a predator and an alien although because i think uh when did this come out 85 so yeah, he got killed by the Terminator at the beginning of Terminator. And oh, it, true. And then, I forgot also, about that. Yeah, and then in Aliens, and then he died in Predator 2. But, um, yeah, and it's it's weird. Like Obviously, Bill Paxton will eventually pop up in quite a few of these podcasts, but it's just weird to see him 
you know that that this one i suppose being not an 18 action violent film is probably the first time that a lot of people will have seen him yeah true how old was he when he was in in weird science do you know um i'm just trying to think i've he would have been 30 when this came out oh wow so definitely not a college kid (laughs) (laughs) no maybe he's just really slow and he's doing having to repeat college for about the eighth time yeah probably so he demands money from Wyatt uh, when they get back from the night out this is when Lisa's making the boys breakfast because they all think it's all just a dream and Wyatt is wearing what she was wearing when she first appeared so there's tiny pants and the crop top and he says an f word i think isn't this the first so there's a word throughout the movie that's used quite often which is faggot yeah and that is like not good (laughs) and that's something you probably wouldn't throw in casually in a movie now days luckily yeah because chet sees wyatt wearing his clothes and, and then he sort of implies that because he's wearing women's panties that he's mentally challenged or some sort of this sort of thing like you know you can have all sorts of violence and stuff but it's normally sort of casual use of language that tends to age quite badly in these films yeah i mean you we skipped that like the night out that they just oh of course they had the night before when they go into this bar they hang out with a few uh, black men Uh, gary who's taking on like this uh, voice Oh, He's pretending, yeah. yeah, like pretending to be this sort of black pimp kind of character for quite a long time. And it's kind of cringy the whole way through, I feel. It's like a little bit like a verbal blackface almost. <laughs> and I don't think, again, I don't think that's the kind of stuff you would put in in a movie nowadays either. It just felt a little bit, ah. Best man. Let me tell you my story, man. Last year, I was insane for this crazy little eighth-grade bitch. Okay? Crazy? Insane? Insane? Crazy? I was nuts for the woman, man. Now, you got to believe me. I'm saying, I'm telling the truth here. I'm speaking to you. I mean, I was nuts for the girl. And what did to me was these big titties she had. For a 13-year-old girl, man. She wouldn't have to worry about no titties for the rest of her life, boy. You know, she was set and she was looking good, son. That's the truth, baby. There are, you know, a lot of films that we do where language like that comes up and just sort of hear it now and 95% of people will probably hear and go, oof, no. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult. What I thought I would have more of an issue with the view of women in this movie, but I mm. think that scene and that they seem quite like homophobic uh, at certain times uh, is actually what rubbed me most the wrong way. If John Hughes was writing this in the 80s based on his teenage years, some years previously, yeah. then that, you know, to be honest, that language was probably quite normal. Probably. It's, yeah, it was yeah. completely normal, I'm sure. Yeah, but okay, so he's in uh, Lisa's underwear in the kitchen. His brother is giving him grief. <laughs> that, that's quite normal, I suppose. I mean, I'm, yeah. maybe I'm quite fortunate. I'm, I'm the oldest brother of three. I don't have any older siblings, so uh, I was probably the check to my brother or my brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember seeing them in women's pants, but... Um, 
you know, maybe, maybe they just didn't tell me. I don't know. <laughs> so after this, they, they've gone to the shopping mall because every good sort of teen movie has a shopping mall in there. Um, yeah. And they go off buying perfume. And there's this, the really <laughs> awkward bit where Lisa goes to buy underwear from a little old lady. And she's and she, oh, yeah. this tiny, I think the tiny pair of knickers saying, if you were a 15-year-old boy, would these turn you on? <laughs> Christ, this old woman who was probably in her 60s or 70s. But she loves to provoke, Lisa. She like she really likes to provoke people. And I guess that's part of it is, you know, she she's having fun while yeah. she's doing it yeah and then asking about sort of um do they come in rubber and things like that <laughs> awkward <laughs> also they, that outfit that she wears in the in the mall it's outrageous it's yeah. like a denim thing like it almost looked like denim like speedos with a long black skirt and a bikini top and this like huge denim and leather i mean it's amazing it's absolutely amazing. Peak 80s. It was like all of the 80s in one outfit. <laughs> absolutely insane. There were some bits in that shopping mall where, you know, the part where she's on the escalator and she sees Robert Downey Jr. and yeah. his, his mate. <laughs> and they act yeah. like, you know, giddy schoolboys. And then she walks past the group of guys and they all kind of, it's almost like choreographed, sort of swooning. And one girl, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a nice little touch. It's like one girl in that group who's like swooning as well. But yeah, I mean, they completely lose their brains and just follow her. And we forget that they have girlfriends. Just literally left the girlfriends on the escalator and just ran after her. After pouring the sl- after pouring the slushies on Gary and Wyatt's head. But these girlfriends are the guy. Go- Wyatt and Gary are already lusting after them from the beginning, and I suppose it shows that. You know, over the course of the film, they have boyfriends who treat them badly, and they come to realise that you know these guys are bad. We need to end up with the good guys. Yeah, but one thing that I don't really get is why they want them as girlfriends because you don't really see their personalities come through at any point. No, the two girls. I don't even remember their names now. They're just um, kind of anonymous, attractive girls in their class. Yeah, and that's a bit dull. I mean, it'd be fun to see what if they actually had a thought or two. But I guess it was just, yeah, love from from <laughs> afar. <laughs> or love from afar, maybe. If you're a 15-year-old boy, anything will do. Yeah, I mean, it seems like them, yeah. I, I don't know. That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> maybe in their school, they were kind of the average Jane. In, in most schools in the world, you know, they, they would be the... You know the the stunning girls that everyone would go for, but maybe in that school they were just kind of yeah, yeah, very average. Yeah, the girl next door kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. One thing that you mentioned earlier when we talked about sort of Lisa's powers, she goes to meet Gary's parents after this, yeah. which is just really you know it starts off quite nice, and then it just sort of takes a turn for the worse. You know, she pulls a gun on his dad. <laughs> That is so strange, like the whole gun. The three scenes in this movie when there's guns involved, which is weird in a teenage movie. But yeah, she pulls a gun on the parents. And then implies that Gary was tossing off. (laughs) And I guess her, Kelly LeBrock, having an English accent, tossing off actually sounds quite normal. But 
well, it's not normal, but um, I don't know if that's a term that they used in America for whatever that means. Yeah, I never heard it before. But okay. I love how much the mum flips out. <laughs> like, like her son uh, tossing off is like the worst thing that she ever heard. Yeah. It's funny, actually, the guy who plays the dad uh, is in... Did you ever watch Tales of Tales from the Crypt? Uh, vaguely, yeah. I, 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 yeah, it was on. He's actually in one of my favourite episodes of that, where it's him and the mum from... Um, why, why can I remember what it's called now? When he gets in a car and goes to the future. Back to the future. Yeah, back to the future. <laughs> the mum from back in the future, back to the future, and the dad in uh, like Gary's dad, mm. they're in an episode of Tales of the Crypt together. Okay. Weirdly, yeah. I might have to dig that one out. Yeah, it's really good and it's so creepy. I watched it when I was like twelve and I had nightmares <laughs> three months or something. That's why I remember their faces. Bloody hell! I'm not yeah. surprised if you were twelve watching that. Yeah, I shouldn't have watched it. I, my mum and dad let me record it on VHS, and I watched it in the morning before going to school. It's <laughs> odd. <But yeah. laughs> anyway, there was a bit of a side note, but yeah. No, of course, <laughs> scary. <laughs> so one of Lisa's powers is she gives the dad some amnesia, and he forgets that Gary even exists, which yeah. um, I suppose is one way of solving that problem. I, uh, yeah. And then we get clip bits throughout the film where the, the mum's trying to remind the dad of who Gary is. He's like, who's this <laughs> Gary? Who's this Gary? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that like whole parent situation is so bleak on both sides, I feel. Like, it's just... But I mean, again, it's like properly how a lot of teenagers view their parents. Like these people they can't relate to, they don't feel that they can talk to. So I think that's sort of what Hughes has try to do like show the parents as these like weird figures in your life that you don't really have any relationship with i guess it makes the the friendships more important as well yeah true that everything else is like yeah exactly i think you're right one thing lisa does did mention before um when robert downey jr i didn't get the other character's name i'll just call him dickhead too yeah that she they try to chat her up and it's really lame and they try to come across as really cool and she's not buying it at all but she does imply that, that they're having a big party at Gary's or Wyatt's house and they you know when she organises the thing I don't know how parties work over there but you know hundreds of people arrive it's <laughs> quite a lot yeah yeah and she's just there serving sort of food you know just in this really glittery dress being host butler maid everything doing it all I was wondering if that's actually how parties actually are like if that's a real like if that's the kind of parties that you go to in during your high school years in in the states because you've seen it in so many movies and i just wonder if it's actually true yeah (laughs) that those house parties with the kegs and (laughs) everything's being like like wrecked and i don't know i wish it i hope it's true it'd be be fraud if it didn't yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and we get the part where Wyatt and Gary are in the toilet, you know, doing what they do, discussing their plans for the evening. And the two girlfriends just happen to be sort of needing to go in as well. And there's the usual sort of awkward conversation between them. It's like, oh, you know, how do we sort all this out and everything? But one thing I did find odd, maybe it's just a cynical thing, but 
how the the two brunettes, the the girl and the boy, end up together, and then the blonde and the ginger, really, as well. I don't know. Is that just a that just a bit bit too obvious? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. Maybe it was just like an aesthetic thing. I yeah, I didn't think about that actually. I just realized, like, in when they were standing in the bathroom, hmm. and at one time, like, at one point, the the girls want some privacy to like fix their lipstick or whatever. So the guys goes go into the shower, and when they look out again, there's two new girls in the bathroom, but <laughs> yeah. the girl girlfriends have left, and these girls are like quite chubby. Yeah, and it's like it's the worst thing they ever seen. Like these guys are like, ew, that's horrible. And that's just, yeah, it's just a little bit yeah, unne- and weird and unnecessary scene. But you see these things in, like, 80s movies all the time. Like, everyone is super pretty. And then they throw in some, like, so-called uglies just for a joke. <laughs> and then they move on in the movie. I suppose you, you've got like to remind, yeah. remind people these ugly people still exist, you know. This, yeah, exactly. This... It's a joke, if nothing else. But yeah, <laughs> It's all a fantasy. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, it just makes a weird one. Just by chance, uh, Wyatt's grandparents—I I didn't really get this bit—that they um, they just <laughs> pop, pop round for a visit, and they end up getting frozen in suspended animation and left in in a food cupboard. They're so—they're right out of assholes as well. They're so unpleasant. The grandparents, and have you actually? They never. She never takes them out of the cupboard. <laughs> No, it's never, it's never seen when, when after the everything is over, they're still in the cupboard. I think. Yeah, because then uh, I suppose it shows wherever the family's money came from. Maybe that's where it is. But uh, when everything gets reversed at the end of the film, I suppose maybe did they get released or something? maybe because you never see them. <laughs> no, God, hopefully they didn't die. That'd be weird. Yeah, that'd be really that'd be super weird. Yeah, try explaining that. <laughs> Yeah, the dickheads. They asked to borrow Lisa because she says that they're gross. Yeah, because I mean, she kind of tells them that she belongs to Gary and Wyatt, and obviously they lustfully desire her. And just to show how callous wankers they are, they offer to swap their girlfriends for a. I don't think they used the word a go on Lisa, but to borrow her anyway. A crack, they want to crack on, I think, to say. Yeah. If we can crack on, we, you can crack on with our girlfriend. Yeah. Like, they're, like, just some kind of thing that you swap. It's grim. Yes. But instead of that, they decide to make another one, try and repeat the magic. And, uh, of course, it being the second time round, it's, uh, we don't get the same results. No, for they mess it up because they forgot to hook up the, the doll. And they just happened to use a magazine with a picture of a nuclear missile on it. I suppose this this was the mid eighties. Yeah. That was still a a fear of people. I wonder if there's anything like symbolic in that <laughs> huge missile throughout the the whole the whole house. Yeah, but yeah, that's a epic fail on yeah. their part. You just got this huge giant erection poking up for the entire house. It's um, it's very weird. Ruining everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a metaphor for teenage life. I think so. I think so for sure. It was definitely meant to fail because imagine if those two dicks got like they'd be horrible if they got a, a Lisa. 
Yeah, poor Lisa. Well, poor Lisa too, anyway, if, if that yeah, had happened. Exactly. No, yeah, it wasn't yeah. meant to happen. No, at least Lisa one was kind of a, you know, she, she wasn't a sucker. She didn't just go along with it. But um, it sounded like the woman that they were trying to make wasn't quite so, uh, wasn't exactly to the same specifications. No, exactly. And just like any good teenage US high school party, um, the gate crashes arrive. Which is like, yeah. And this is this is Lisa's doing. Yeah. Because she thinks that they basically, that they need to man up, the two teenage boys. They need to step up and become a little bit more manly, I think. It works quite well because I think, you know, in the, in the way that you mentioned earlier, she, she's not there to sort of be their property you know she's there to kind of bring them along a little bit and to give them that confidence boost and and what better to to have the guy who was the baddie from commando and mad max 2 <laughs> parachuted in with it you know and and of course back then every every gang was a motorcycle gang and all had tattoos of oh god tattoos yeah i know <laughs> god i'm st- starting to sound like my mum and um she basically emboldens them because, and I, I've stupidly referred to the villain or this gang leader's name as Bennett because he was, that was the name of the character he played in Commando. Bennett, uh, he basically takes the piss out of them. And obviously, because this is Lisa's doing, this guy knows what they've done. He knows that they showered with their jeans on. He knows that yeah. they, they wore the bras on their heads while they made her on the computer just to sort of push their buttons, really. I just don't understand, like, why wearing a bra on your head would be super embarrassing in that... Like, they're literally in a house party and these people, like, weird-looking, monster-creature kind of people are just gone through the wall in their house on a motorcycle, on several motorcycles, and the thing that would trigger like trigger them would be because it's embarrassing that they had bras on their head. Hmm. It just feels like that is just such a tiny thing compared with that situation. Yeah. It well, it but worked guess, though. Yeah. yeah, it worked because yeah, I guess that's the teenagers. But yeah. then the gum comes out again. Another <laughs> gum. It's just you, so strange. Are you saying that we shouldn't be solving violence with violence? Maybe. Yeah, hmm. definitely not guns. I think it's just so strange, like teenagery guns. But anyway, he pulls out the gun, and they just get really scared. Yeah, it's fu- it's funny because the gang members, you know, there's one, there's one says, "Oh, I'd, I'd hate to lose my teaching job because of this." Yeah, I love that one. It's just no, it's really good. That whole how that scene ends actually sort of shows that it was yeah, it would never have ended badly because again, Lisa was in control of the situation. They were basically just creature of, of her magic yeah i just yeah there's a lot of humor in that scene i think it also showed the fun part where he was going oh no no it's just a fake gun it's just a fake gun and then he shoots down the sh- chandelier like you have in every right. every house every house has a chandelier yeah of course but the gun not yeah bad. yeah <laughs> but but it's a it's an 80s film of course you've got to have sort of guns and violence and stuff that's what makes them great yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> Now, of course, because the trick or the the stunt has worked, the boys and girls get together. They have the sort of heart-to-heart where they talk. I mean, the girls, they kind of come across as a little bit jealous of Lisa, but then 
the guys kind of put their minds to rest a little bit, I suppose, by saying, you know, we love her, but not like that. Yeah, I think they say like more of a sisterly love kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the the girls, at one point earlier on, Lisa had said, oh, you must shower with them. It was mind-blowing. And I suppose if if you're a, an old, I suppose, however old Lisa was, telling two 15, 16-year-old girls to shower with two boys, that must be really odd. They certainly weren't the sort of girls that went to my school. Well, it, no, it never happened to me, that's for sure. <laughs> no, that's super strange. But I guess just like that classic thing, the classic setup you've seen in so many movies as well that a little bit like I want what she's got kind of thing so if you see a guy or like in Never Been Kissed or those movies if you see someone with someone you think is out of their league yet all of a sudden these people become more interesting yes and that was the whole plan really with Lisa in a way I suppose it would have been weird and it would have been a very different film if Gary and Wyatt both decided that they wanted to be with Lisa and yeah yes yeah how would that yeah there's yeah (laughs) Yeah. no no no, yeah that's wrong yeah wrong yeah moving on moving on (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so they they have to get the girls home there's the the chase in the Ferrari and nearly hitting the parents while being chased by the cops and this is all very it's all very similar to the end of Ferris Bueller as well and because Chet has arrived home with a gun, with a gun, because yeah. that that's Chet, the yeah. thir- the thirty year old man child. Oh hi, Chet. What the hell is going on around here? Chet, I'm sorry. It was an accident. An accident? An accident? Do you realize it's snowing in my room? God damn it! He's- such a psycho <laughs> but he gets his just dessert in the end he really does i mean lisa turns him into uh, i've written a blob don't really know what else to put it i mean it's like an alien blob sort of thing like a toad pile of dirt i don't know yeah it's like he he, he eats a fly at one point <laughs> which makes me think he's like a toad or a frog or something yeah it's disgusting yeah, he's basically his tr- him, his true self. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it is. You know. Yeah. Would you please turn me back to normal, please? I haven't done anything to you. No, but you've done plenty to your brother. Like what? Well, let me see. Uh, you've nagged him, huh? harassed him, me? suppressed him, <laughs> kept him in fear Come of you, extorted on. money from him. It's done out of love. Just for that, I ought to give you a set of elephant balls. Everyone gets home and the cars vanish. And of course, Lisa manages to um, repair all the damage. And just in time, just as the parents get home, all the the house fixes itself and the missile suddenly vanishes. And uh... There's some true Mary Kondo stuff <laughs> happening there where... Like, I honestly think this is my favourite scene in the movie because it's so nice to see everything being tidied by itself. <laughs> oh, my God, if that could happen. Oh. Is this where Marie Kondo says, does this nuclear missile bring you joy? Yeah, exactly. And you say, nope, and then it disappears. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> Maybe this was what she watched to inspire her to be a lunatic tidy freak. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, I was thinking that also maybe this is what Steven Seagal watched to inspire him to marry Kelly LeBrock. Oh, yeah. I mean, she is a very beautiful woman. Yeah. 
it's, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. I totally see. Like, she's really the perfect sort of, of that time as well. Like, that sort of healthy-looking, just 80s. She's just, like, <laughs> 80s all the way through, I feel. It makes you wonder yeah. what, what would, how would things be different if they did this now? And I suppose how they would, or who they would cast as Lisa would kind of be a good indication as to how things have changed or not. I don't know. I think if I were to decide, I think I would do the Ghostbusters twist and make it two girls, two teenage girls who made, then I don't know, what would they make? Would they make a man or maybe just a cooler big sister? Would that be cool? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. My, my daughters aren't old enough yet to, to have that, but I've, I'm sure they probably cast Channing Tatum in it or something weird like that. Yeah, I mean... Is that a young girl's yeah. dream? I don't, know. I don't know. I don't even know what young girls like. <laughs> but I think it would definitely be very different. Like, it would be very different, like, an ideal woman or man or whatever they choose to make. It would be look so different to, to the original. Maybe it would be Marie Kondo. Maybe, yeah. yeah. That would be a twist. That'd be a lot of people's fantasies just to come and tighten it, you know, not not for anything sordid or dirty, it's just just for a tidy house. It's a very different movie, that's <laughs> very weird and very science. So No, but it would be cool actually to like have two girls do it instead, I think. That's what she said. As long as they you know, because I, I think a lot of men would get uncomfortable with the bit where they choose, you know, the the equivalent of when they choose how big the breasts are for the woman you know if they do that for the maybe that's just the the nervous lack, body, I think. yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how big should we make his cheekbones or something i don't know yeah i mean how do you think all us women feel when we watch weird science well there you go that's what i thought you know so i thought i'd ask what was it like to watch it as a as a female oh but... that's what yeah i mean again like i'm i think it's not so much the making of the perfect woman or whatever you can call it it's just more that there's not a single girl or woman in the movie that's not like... There's a few at the party, I guess, that's like normal looking or, you know. But I feel that's like a thing in all... Ah, fuck, I don't know, actually. <laughs> no, I'm mean, like, I see what you mean. But then again, it's like, it's just basically what most teenage boys would do. Yeah. But it, but they still might go out and fall in love with a normal looking girl or like a less attractive girl. I don't know. I, I suppose, like you say, it's the the fantasy and the reality, and um, ultimately, how would a fifteen year old boy and, and a Kelly LeBrock get on? I guess that's for some <laughs> a different conversation. But um... I think the whole yeah, I think the whole theme of the movie is the whole what you may the things you might fantasize about. about might not actually be the thing you want in the end and finding yourself and all that you know but it's the one well, strange thing is because she sort of has her big farewell you know she she cries and it's almost like you know my work here is done and she disappears and then in the next part mm-hmm. we go to <laughs> go to the gym and where all the boys are working out and that's where she's the coach yeah, she's just put on this earth now to torture teenage boys <laughs> which yeah. is great. It's such a good ending because you can see like she looks really like sneaky or a little bit sort of. It just looks like she definitely has an agenda. <laughs> and they just all faint when they see her in that scene. It's just odd. <laughs> they just all f- fall backwards. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see what, if that had happened in real life. I mean, my 
you know, trying to think about my PE teachers when I was at school and they were mostly sort of really psychopathic Welsh rugby players and stuff like that. So Yeah, same. I always had they were always the gym teachers or the yeah, they were the absolute worst. <laughs> absolute yeah. worst, yeah. But then who knows, maybe once they cut away from the uh, the introduction part, maybe she turned out to be a, a psychopath as well. Yeah, maybe. Or she was like a brilliant teacher. Something like Dead Poets Society or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, that was Weird Science. Yeah. Did you enjoy watching it again? I did, yeah. But it's, I think it's going to be quite a few years before I watch it again, to be honest. From now on, yeah. Might give the TV show a go. No, just kidding. That must be on Netflix or something. I don't know. It must be worth a watch. But, yeah, I mean, it got horrendous uh, reviews apparently but uh, yeah might do all i remember that it, it had the woman from kingpin and it wasn't very good and it was probably me i say if this was in the 90s so even then i, I wouldn't have had much to gauge it by but um yeah it, it did look dreadful yeah <laughs> oh well well maybe if they do a weird science too we can come back and talk about that one <laughs> yeah exactly or if they do the remake the remake yeah i want it's one of those things like you need to do it really well but yeah we definitely catch up if uh, they do a sequel or a remake. <laughs> a sequel would actually be better, I think. That'd be interesting. Like like 30 years later or something God. like that. And they bring her back again and they're still married probably with kids. Or maybe their kids will do it, I don't know. Is that too Yeah, have a different set of computers. Yeah, they could, they could probably do it on their phone. Yeah, you probably just download an app. Download an app and it's like, right, which, <laughs> which filter shall we use for her face? Yeah, exactly. It's so easy. Yeah. Uh, technology. Oh, man. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Camilla, thank you very much for coming back. It was, it was a long while in the waiting, but um, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the movie and I enjoyed talking about it. I know we've got a couple of others um, that we'll, we'll try and come back to at some point in the future. I won't give it away just yet. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Now, what we'll do is, as per usual, we'll play out the podcast with the song that was number one in the UK at the time of the film's release. Now, this film came out on the 30th of August, 1985, and the number one song was I Got You, Babe, by UB40. So, uh, yes. Camilla, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. And I'll speak to you soon. Yes, yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by executive producers Gary West, Fergus Higginson and Keith Foster and associate producer Chris Oakley. For more information, please visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club.